Proverbs chapter 6, and God willing, we'll be expounding verses 16 through 19 tonight. <clears throat> the title of the message is The Seven Abominations. The Seven Abominations. And there are certain things that uh, carnal men take pride in that God detests. Certain things that carnal men take pride in that God detests. You think about it, we have a fallen nature. And because we have a fallen nature, it's easy for us to boast in the things that God condemns. It's easy for us to develop a favorable opinion about certain things that contrary to our opinion and our favorable view, those things are completely disgusting to God. So the next few verses, Solomon is going to give us God's view on seven of these matters so that we can embrace his way of thinking about these and forsake our own. Solomon says, verse 16, These six things doth the Lord hate. The world wants us to think that God is a God of love. Do you know he's a God of hate too? <laughs> People don't want to think about that. This, this uh, afternoon there was a story that broke, I guess about 1 p.m., that the Pope said that uh, homosexuals are God's children too and that God loves them like they are. Let me tell you, God doesn't love them like they are. God hates the way they are. And a false teacher is going to tell you that God is a God of love, and He is, but God is a righteous God above all things. He's righteous. That means God loves what's good. God hates What's bad? These six things doth the Lord hate. And not saying six as if only six and no more than six. And God loves everything else. But he's bringing some items to our mind here. And the numbers aren't that important. Other than, we'll see here in just a little bit, the generalization of them. But the world wants us to think that God is a God of love, and He is, but He's not a God of uncensored love. God doesn't love everything. God hates some things. Could you imagine having a God that loved everything? It'd be terrible. If God loved everything, the world would fall apart. Life would no longer be worth living if God didn't hate some things. The day I was studying for this message, in fact, a news story broke that morning about a convenience store clerk that was found shot in the back, robbed and shot in the back, dead. Somebody came in to rob that store and he killed that poor clerk and now there's broken-hearted family members who are missing their loved one. Now the police are on a manhunt trying to bring, bring that killer to justice. And now the other store clerks, I bet they're afraid too, you know, for their lives. But could you imagine if 
God was a God of uncensored love. And God told that poor clerk's family. God told the police department. And God told all the other store clerks. I love robberies. See that you do that robber no harm. Allow him to prosper in his doings. I love the robber like he is. Could you imagine? You wouldn't be able to live in a world that condemned nothing and encouraged everything. Somebody has to distinguish between good and evil. Somebody has to encourage the good and condemn the bad. A world like that would have no justice, no standards, no direction, and no hope. I'm so glad I don't live in a world like that. I'm so glad that I don't have a God like that. Our God hates evil. Solomon says these six things doth the Lord hate. Look back in your text. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. What do we know about the number seven, somebody? It is the number of what? Other than Brother Shepherd. Who said what? Completion. Completion. There you go. Another fine member of our sound team up there. He's not a rookie like the new one up there. He's seasoned. When you're a seasoned sound tech person, you're a theological genius. It just comes with the job. You just wait, Alice. Your eyes will be open. You appear a little longer. That seven is the number of completion. And so what Solomon is saying, by these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. God hates all evil. You see how that goes? And by saying seven, he's saying God is a God who perfectly hates all wrong. And I'm going to give you seven things that God hates as a microcosm of the totality of all evil. Make sense? Like a little sample. Take a little bit of cheese and you have a toothpick in it. You sample that cheese. It gives you a sample of the whole block of cheese. And Solomon is allowing us to sample here the things that are abominable to God. And now, don't get confused by saying six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Well, is it six or seven? This is a a common uh, Hebrew expression in the Old Testament. It's a way of building the subject up. Six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. It's a way of drawing attention to the matters that are being discussed. In these Uh, instances here, the the seven things that God hates, they're disgusting to him. They're an abomination, which means disgusting to him. And the six working up to the seven is just a way of highlighting all seven. You may think, well, that doesn't make any sense. What does it say these seven things does the Lord hate? Again, it's a Hebrew way of saying things that to us it doesn't necessarily make sense. But let me give you some English examples so you can relate to it. How many of y'all have ever heard someone say, I agree with you 1,000%? You ever heard anyone say that? Now that makes no sense. You can't agree with someone 1,000%. It's not mathematically possible. It can't happen. 
Have you ever heard someone say, what, that, that, they're spending a, a gazillion dollars. Y'all have heard a gazillion? How many of y'all have heard the word gazillion before? There is no such thing as a gazillion. It's not a number. It doesn't exist. But it's our way in English, a thousand percent, when we all know there's no such thing as a thousand percent. A gazillion, when we should all know <laughs> that there's no such thing as the number gazillion. And if you were to be Hebrew, you would think, what in the world are they talking about? But it's a way of using numbers to emphasize and dramatize the heart matter that you're speaking about. So these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. It's a way of dramatizing the heart matter, the subject at hand. So Solomon says about these six, yea, seven abominable things God hates. The first one being, verse 17, a proud look. And you think, a proud look? Man, you would think that God hates the murderer. God hates the, the bank robber. God hates the, uh, 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 the rapist. God hates a proud look? Yes, God hates the proud look. And I marvel that... This makes the list of seven things that God hates. I marvel again that it makes the number one slot mentioned in the list. God hates a proud look. Do you know why I think this is number one? I won't tell you. I believe it's because pride is at the heart of all rebellion against God. Pride is the germ of all rebellion. Pride and unbelief go hand in hand. You know what caused the devil to fall? Pride. That's what the Bible says. Pride caused him to fall. The Bible says pride is as the sin of witchcraft. Pride and unbelief are sort of like repentance and faith. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. They're really the same thing, in a sense. There have been times in my life, many, many times in my life, and I'm sure in yours too, there's been times in my life when I've gotten out of my vehicle, and I'm feeling pretty good, Brother Shepherd. Maybe I just got through exercising. Maybe I just had someone compliment me. I don't know. I get out of my vehicle and I'm walking in the store. And I'm strutting my stuff and I'm feeling pretty good. You ever seen people like that? They just walking like that. Feeling pretty good. I'm bad. I'm bad. And you know what? Over the years, many, many times, as I've done that, the Holy Spirit has smote my heart. And said, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. And then my heart gets humble. And I say, God, I'm sorry. Solomon's not saying that God hates people feeling good about themselves. Or looking nice. Or being confident. But God hates a person that's got a cocky arrogant 
prideful heart. I told you that pride and rebellion, uh, excuse me, pride and unbelief were two sides of the same coin like repentance and faith. You may think, how does, how does that work? Well, let me tell you, a man with a proud look is full of himself. A woman with a proud look is full of herself. They're not trusting God in humble obedience. They're walking contrary to God, relying on their own strength. You get out of the vehicle and you're walking, you're feeling real good, and you're walking like it, yeah, I'm something, thinking in your heart. That pride is not humble reliance upon God. At that moment, you're relying on yourself. Your faith is not in God. Your faith is in you. Your admiration is not going to God. Your admiration is going to yourself. Pride and unbelief are two sides of the same coin. Men checking out their muscles as they walk through a store, maybe catching themselves in the reflection. You ever seen a man do that? You ever seen anyone check their muscles out, Brother Shepherd? You may have. I bet he has. I bet every man in here has. Women showing off their body shapes where they go. Women, you know it's true. If you walk around with a proud look, you better be careful. Because God may have to knock you down a bit. Sure may have to do it. God hates a proud look. What's the next thing God hates? Look back in your text. A lying tongue. You see, God is truth and light. When we tell a lie, we bring our neighbor into darkness. It's the opposite of God. When we lie, we deceive our neighbor and we rob them of the truth that God wants them to enjoy. We're working against God. A lying tongue breaks promises. A lying tongue cheats. A lying tongue fails to take responsibility for one's actions. I was with a man one day when he received a call from what sounded like may have been his supervisor. I'm really not sure who he was talking to, but we were riding in the same vehicle, coming back from Mesquite. We just served a search warrant up there. And uh, he was from a local agency, and, uh, and he wanted me to go up to Mesquite with him since I had state jurisdiction. So I went up there with him, and on the way back, he got this call. And again, it sounded like he may have been talking to a supervisor. And I heard him tell his supervisor, or whoever it was, that he was in a completely different town than where we were. <laughs> and I couldn't believe that he was lying like that right in front of me. And when he got off the phone, he made light of the fact that he had lied about where he was. He thought it was kind of funny. Didn't seem to bother him one bit. I suppose maybe he's supposed to have been somewhere else at the time. I don't know. But do you know who the real victim of that lie was that day? He was the real victim. Do you know why? 
A lying tongue robs you of the ability to face reality and hold yourself in check. Not too long after that phone call, I got word that he received a very nice promotion at work. But shortly thereafter, according to my understanding, they discovered that he was abusing prescription medicine and he lost his job. So he got hired for the state somewhere else. They probably didn't know his history where he was. And next thing you know, evidence begins to turn up missing in the evidence locker and he loses his state job. Do you know what caused him to take evidence from the locker, allegedly, and abuse prescription medication like that? A lying tongue. That's what did it. The evidence log he, he, he kept said the evidence was present, but the locker said, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not here. He presented himself as clean and sober to his co-workers, to his supervisors. But he was living a lie. The fact that he allowed himself to lie in order to advance himself in the beginning is what destroyed him in the end. Here's a kingdom truth. He that regards a lie disregards the truth. He that regards a lie disregards the truth. You can't have one without the other. God hates a lying tongue. Look back in your text. He also hates, it says, and hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. In Genesis chapter 9 verse 6 God made it clear that whoever sheds man's blood, or innocent blood at least, the punishment would be death. God required man to hold his fellow creatures accountable. God said, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So whoever sheds man's blood... God requires man to hold that man accountable and to shed the blood of that guilty man. On the other hand, God forbids murder, as Solomon says here tonight. He hates the hands that shed innocent blood. Shed guilty blood, you must, God says. Shed innocent blood, I hate that. Which is why he commands us to shed the guilty person's blood. Because he hates it. Now, did you know that a proud look and bloody hands go together? Proverbs 13.10, if you're writing down notes in your margin, outside of hands that shed innocent blood, write down Proverbs 13.10. says, only by pride cometh contention. And we'll get to that a few chapters later. But just take note of that. The first thing God hated was a proud look. And now he's gotten to hands that shed innocent blood. And yet we see that only by pride comes contention. Contention means a quarrel or a fight. It can only come when at least one of the parties is acting in pride. Pride will not allow a man to humble himself to acknowledge the truth. Pride will not allow a man to humble himself and seek the needs of somebody else or consider their situation. And pride seeks what's best for the prideful person. And that leads 
to contention. And sometimes, unfortunately, a proud man shedding innocent blood, whether it's a bloody nose or a gunshot wound. And that leads us to the next thing that God hates, which is, verse 18, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. God has given the human race an amazing mind. Think of Elon Musk. He wants to occupy Mars. And who knows, one day maybe he'll stick someone up there. But wow, what he's accomplished. Uh, 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 A modern day Henry Ford, you know, with the technology that he's advanced, the things that he's accomplished. The Hebrew word translated imaginations here, it means to plan something out. And with the human mind, we've, we've planned things out, contrivances, we've built great cities, we've traveled to outer space, we've invented modern conveniences, and we've highly developed the field of medicine. But with that same human mind, we've developed weapons of mass destruction. COVID-19. Can you believe people actually worked to make a virus worse? (laughs) And we plotted ways to enrich ourselves at the expense of others. The word deviseth, it means to scratch something out. When I was growing up, I used to have very fond memories of going to the coffee shop with my dad when he would go there with other businessmen in town that were of the same caliber of his business. You know, he owned a, a mechanic shop, and maybe we'd go there with someone who owned a car, sh- uh, a, a tire shop, or somebody else. Other mechanically minded men, a lot of times, getting their heads together and discussing whatever it was, whatever politics or, or a business problem of the day. And, and sometimes when a man wanted to share his ideas with someone or, or explain something to someone, and I, I love watching them do this, one of them would take out his pen, and he'd reach over and grab a napkin off that table and start scratching it out. Now, here's what you do. You take this right here, and you do this right here, and all the men would start looking at it. And that's what it means to devise. A heart that devises wicked imagination. Someone that sits down and puts pen to paper and thinks and plots out something they can do that will harm their fellow man. It's sad to think that that's what people do. Did you know the gospel of Jesus Christ was the opposite of that? The gospel of Jesus Christ was the result, is the result, of God devising good imaginations. And the Bible is the pen and the paper. It's that, the Bible is that napkin, if you will, at the coffee shop. Where God communicates and scratched out to us His loving plan to redeem us from our sin. God loves good imaginations in the heart of man, but He hates, He despises it when we plot to do evil. Whether it be rob a bank or a telephone scam the elderly or some other con job or 
whatever we do. He hates it. That he gave us a brilliant mind. And then we use that mind to cook up some way to harm our neighbor. God hates, look back in your text, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. It's sad that we didn't have to talk about that, but it's true. Mischief is harm or damage that we cause. And when I was growing up, I had feet that were slow in pushing a lawnmower. I did. Man, I tell you what, that was my first taste of gender discrimination. When my sister got to stay inside the air conditioning and fold clothes, and I had to go out in the heat and cut the grass. I'm just kidding about that, of course, but back in the day, that's how I thought about it as a boy. How come Sonia gets to do this, and i got to go out there just because I'm a boy? But I had feet that were slow in pushing the lawnmower. I would think of every way, everything I could think of to keep from having to mow that grass. But if one of my friends were to say, hey, Richard, let's go ring somebody's doorbell and then run, go hide and watch them come to the door and find someone not there. Well, I'd have feet that were swift to do that. Oh, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Just giggle and have the best time. The flesh didn't want to run to make the yard look nice. It wanted to run to make my neighbors mad. Now, we giggle at that being kids, but you know what? That's really what it was. It was wrong. I think as an adult now, how upset I'd be. You don't know what those people were going through when you go up and ring that doorbell and run away. They may have been dealing with cancer diagnosis. You don't know what they were dealing with back then. Whether it's ringing a doorbell or rioting in the street, it's all the same fleshly spirit that gets excited when the chance comes to bring harm to our neighbors, to disrupt their peace. When we had all the protests and riots several years ago, you had a grown-up version of what I was as a little boy. People who were reluctant, who had feet that were slow to work and contribute to society, but feet that were swift, getting all excited about destroying society. And God hated it. God also hates, verse 19, a false witness that speaketh lies. A false witness that speaketh lies. When you're called upon to give testimony in a case, whether great or small, always testify to the truth. I'm going to tell you one thing that uh, I have, I have uh, regretted in my life. At least in one particular occasion where someone uh, put me on the spot to uh, give them a job uh, reference, be a reference for their work and give them a recommendation to a particular job. And I did, and I shouldn't have. But I think that's kind of uh, human nature when someone says, Hey, would you, could I use you for reference? We think, well, I feel honored they'd want to use me for a reference. And so, see, yeah, they'd do you a good job. You don't want to make them mad at you and tell them they'd do a bad job and they get back to them and then it hurts your relationship with someone. But you know what? 
uh, I may have ended up hurting someone worse, hurting more people, giving the person a job reference uh, as a pastor when I knew that he had never had any scandal, but I knew he could get along with people. He just couldn't get along with people, period, at church. And, and he kept having a history of the same trouble. And I loved the man very much and wanted him to succeed. But, but I felt in my heart, you know, I'm not sure I should have done that. I'm not sure that would, would I want that person coming to my church. The answer was no. And so I was wrong, and I've regretted that. And I've determined in my heart since then that I would never recommend that person again should the need arise. And thank God it hasn't. But if it does, I'm just going to have to say, uh, no, he wouldn't make a good job. He wouldn't make a good pastor. But, you know, if someone asks you to vouch for them about a particular matter, don't lie for them. If they ask you to be a reference on a job, and the person, and it's okay to say, yeah, I'll be a reference for you, but if they call, tell them the truth. Never shade the truth for your friends as a witness. It's wrong. It's a false witness that speaketh lies. I believe there are many celebrities that we've grown to trust over the years who give a false witness in order to endorse a product that is not in your best interest, for good money. Then people who don't have the money, uh, they, they, they take their word for it and then waste their money on an inferior product. God hates these things. Look back at your text. And he that soweth discord among the brethren, as we're starting to wrap this up. He that soweth discord among the brethren. Sowing meaning like sowing seed. They sow discord among the brethren. Some people love to do their mischief by getting someone upset at another person. This lies in the heart of people. I've felt it in my own heart before. Uh, that, that you get two people at odds with each other. And then you just kind of sit back and watch the fireworks. There's a lot of people like that. They love stirring trouble up. They will go to one person and act like they're on their side. And they'll start talking about the other person. Then they'll go to that other person privately and act like they're on their side. And they'll talk about that person. And meanwhile, they're getting each person to have unfavorable opinions about the other person. And next thing you know, they start to clash and they can just sit back. It's the same spirit that, 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 that the same thing why two people... Uh, would want to get two dogs or, or two roosters or something and put them together and just watch them fight each other. I've never understood that either. Makes no sense to me. Except they're doing it with people, which is far worse. It's a morbid sort of entertainment that we have in our fallen nature. Where God takes pleasure in reconciling people and making peace between people, yet our flesh takes pleasure in tearing that bond apart. God hates it. God hates a lot of other things too. But those six things the Lord hates, yea, seven, are an abomination unto Him, and Lord willing, will take back up in the book of Proverbs in the next verse, verse uh, next Wednesday night.
Oh, it's good to cover those little things like that. And if all seven didn't hit us, I bet you a few hit us. Because <laughs> we all have that same old flesh, don't we? Father, Lord, we thank you for your precious word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to have your word be showered upon our minds and our hearts and wash them clean tonight. To scrub away, Father, with your scripture as we believe it and apply it, Lord, tonight. To scrub away those carnal desires to do those things and to relish and to take um, uh, uh, joy or happiness and excitement in those things that you abhor. And I pray, Lord, you'll turn our minds toward all things wrong so that we have the same opinion about them that you do. These six things do we hate. Yea, let seven be an abomination unto us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.